I know that I've had the opportunity and privilege to meet a lot of us in this room, but I also have not met some of you in this room as well. So I'm going to take a moment and introduce myself so we're not such strangers. Uh, my name is Manny Provenzano, and I've had the opportunity to be on staff here at Multiply Church Lake Norman for coming up on a year now. And for my wife, Ashley, and I, and our entire family, this has been uh, the greatest season that we've experienced it, because of the community that we have the opportunity to be a part of and what we get to do together collectively uh, in and throughout our community as a church body. And I firmly believe that we're just getting started with what we have planned and what the Lord is going to do in and through our church. And it's just been a, a huge honor for us to be a part of this church over the last two and a half years now, but on staff now for almost a year. And as uh, if you heard Pastor Judah talking in, in his welcome, he's talking about fall. I, I am a fall guy through and through. I don't know about you, but I could, I could do without July and August in, in North Carolina. I don't like when I'm sitting in my car and I get out of my car and my back is all sweaty. Can any of you relate with me or am I the only one that gets a little back sweat? Yeah. I'm a fall guy. I love everything fall. I love pumpkins. I love hanging out. I love the cold weather. I would much rather layer up and then having to be on the beach and layer down, right? I would much rather be cold and then having to put a little coat on, a jacket on. I could wear pants and jeans for the entire year and be just fine. Weird, weirdo. <laughs> Come on, man. Come on. But how many of us, uh, let me ask a question. No lying because we're in church now and God knows. How many of you have already had a pumpkin spice latte this year? Pumpkin spice, pumpkin spice. Anything pumpkin? How about, how about this? Anything pumpkin related? Has anyone had anything pumpkin related so far this year? All right. Now, now, how many of you had it in late August when all the retail stores started coming out with the pumpkin stuff in August when the weather was still 95 degrees out? What'd you have in August? Every, everything pumpkin. Oh, wow. You, went, you go hard. Everything pumpkin. I don't, I don't understand why we get earlier and earlier celebrating holidays. Like, I was just told last service that Home Depot and Lowe's is already putting stuff out for Christmas. Oh, that's you. Already talking about Christmas. But I was, uh, Ashley, my wife, we... Uh, we, she, I forget what it was, but she asked, hey, do you want something pumpkin? This was like late August. It was before Labor Day. I'm like, I am not having anything pumpkin until it turns October 1st. Now, it's October 1st today. If I'm being honest, I have had something pumpkin. My wife, she made pumpkin pancakes uh, last week for the girls, so I had a pumpkin pancake. But I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just shocked of how early holidays come. I mean, you start talking about Christmas in July now, Hobby Lobby and Home Depot, apparently, right? And, and all these stores are coming out with Christmas in now September, which I think is absolutely crazy. But fall is here, colder weather upon us. And hey, uh, if you're here last week, how many of us heard Mr. Brian King preach? Man, he preached. If you didn't, if you didn't catch it, maybe you caught it online, I would encourage you to go back to that message and listen to his message. And he, he talked about how we as believers are the saints of God. And I'm grateful for, for individuals in this church and the messages that are brought and the different styles of preaching that we get to hear from here at Multiply Church. And, and as I was listening to Brian preach live last week, I was in Chattanooga. I was watching it online as uh, Pastor Zach was competing in his Ironman race. And I'm sure he's going to tell you all about his Ironman race at some point. 
But because I'm up here and I have the microphone today, I get to share with you my experience about watching him compete in the Ironman race. And here's my first thought. Here's my first thought. I, I firmly believe that, and Jenna, I'm, I bet you can attest to this as well. I firmly believe that anyone that is there to watch someone compete in an Ironman race and is there at the start of the race and makes it all the way to the finish of that said race should also get a medal placed on their neck for the support that was given to them. Now, because he talks about how sore he was. He talks about how many toenails he lost in this race. But what they didn't tell you is how sore I was just walking the course and how tired, Matt, you were there too, how tired we were because after the swim, so we dropped Pastor Zach off at uh, like 4.45 in the morning to get his gear ready. And then, then we went back to the house. We took a little nap. So, and then we came back. We saw him do the swim. Then we went to go to get breakfast, had an hour and a half long breakfast. And then we, saw, then we saw him get on the bike. And then we went to get lunch, had a great lunch. Went back to the house, took a little snooze. Because we got up at 4 o'clock in the morning, right? It was early. And then we, after the bike, 100, it was almost, it was longer than 112 miles. It was a 112-mile bike. So you can, it was seven hours. We come back. We're baking in the sun, waiting for to see him go back on mile 56. So I'm sweating now. I'm getting sunburned now, waiting to say hi to Zach as he goes by on mile 56. Then after he transitions from the bike to the run, and then afterwards, about a couple hours later, it's starting to get dark. And at this time, it's now 11 o'clock at night. Starting at 4 o'clock in the morning. And so 16 hours and 22 minutes later, Pastor Zach crosses the finish line for his Ironman. And just as exhausted as you were, I got to tell you, I woke up the next morning, and this is just maybe because I'm out of shape, but I was sore as well. My legs were on fire doing all that walking, man. No, but um, as, we, as we were watching uh, Brian, I was watching him online, and I'm just so thankful for the voices I was, just, I was just listening because there's a lot of people cheering. And so I was just listening to Brian preach. And he was talking about, uh, he left us with four questions. And one, one time I went to breakfast with Brian early morning before he went to work. And he asked me these same four questions. And those four questions that he left us with was, what do you really want? What are you willing to do? Who are you? And who is Jesus to you? Love those four questions. So today as we start our three-week discipleship series, I want to expand upon today the fourth question that Brian asked last week. And, and the question was, who is Jesus to you? And Brian, Brian left us with this statement that really hit me hard, and it, and it segues perfectly into what we'll be diving into today. And Brian said, do we have the full truth of who Jesus Christ is? Because when we see Jesus for who he is, it completely transforms who we are. When we truly see Jesus for who he is, it transforms who we are. So if you've been a part of Multiply Church for any length of time, you know what our mission is. Our mission is to multiply churches and multiply disciples. We have seen firsthand what multiplying churches looks like even this year. We've gone out, we've expanded locally and globally. This year, we've launched Multiply Nicaragua in Okotal. We've launched Multiply Livingston in Zambia. 
The Fulgerman family, who you met a couple months ago, that were here with us, they just moved to Namibia to launch Multiply Church Namibia there. So you know, you've seen firsthand how we are multiplying churches locally and globally, but what does it mean to multiply disciples? What does discipleship look like? What is discipleship? What does it entail? What does it cost? And how do I become a disciple? This is what we're going to be covering over the next couple of weeks. But let's look at a definition of discipleship as we start this series off. So what is discipleship? Discipleship is the process of devoting oneself to a teacher to learn from and become more like them. For the Christian, this refers to the process of learning the teachings of Jesus and following after his example in obedience through the power of the Holy Spirit. Discipleship not only involves the process of becoming disciple, but of making other disciples through the teaching and through teaching and evangelism. So as we start our series on discipleship, let's just lay a foundation for discipleship. First foundational point. Discipleship, there are many words for the word discipleship in the Greek language. There's not just one word in Greek, which is the language that the New Testament was written in. There's not just one word for the word disciple and discipleship. We combine the word in English. Disciple and discipleship tend to mean the same thing. But when we talk about being a student or a follower, the Greek word that is used is akolotheo. Let me say that together. Akolotheo. Akolotheo. You said it pretty good. That that means it is the, the process of following someone as a disciple. So that's what we're going to be exploring today is that word akolotheo. It's the process of following someone as a disciple. But the second foundational point is this, is that we are made a disciple of Christ. This is what Brian was talking about last week. We are made a disciple of Christ when we accept him as our Lord and Savior. The word justification that we've been throwing around a lot over the last couple of months now, as we studied Romans and as Brian preached last week, when we accept Jesus as the Lord and Savior of our life, we become a disciple of his. But discipleship is that lifelong journey, is that lifelong process of becoming more like Jesus, the word sanctification. But as we see in Scripture in Matthew 28, verse 19, is that discipleship is also a verb, where Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We are commanded and directed and encouraged and instructed to go out and make disciples. So I don't want us to start the series as we explore the, this idea and the concept of discipleship. I don't want us heading into this thinking that there are levels to salvation. Because once, I don't want you thinking that I'm first saved, then I become a disciple. No, it's once you are saved, you are a disciple. What we're talking about over the next three weeks is walking out the discipleship life and becoming a, living a life of discipleship following after Jesus. So today, we're going to be looking at discipleship through the lens of the Greek word akalutheo, the process of following someone as a disciple. And when we see that word akalutheo throughout scripture, it tends to mean it is the start of the discipleship process. So the aim of this series 
is to show how we are designed for discipleship. How we are designed to follow Jesus, to becoming more like Jesus and follow his ways, follow his truths, follow the teachings. It's all about following Jesus. But that word follow, that word follow has such a casual meaning in today's world, doesn't it? It's such a different meaning than when it was mentioned in the Bible. I mean, think about using the word follow today. Someone must, might be thinking, well, well, I follow Jesus on social media. Does that mean I'm a disciple of Jesus just because I follow Jesus on social media? I actually took some time uh, this past week as in my, my spare time. I have a ton of that right now. But in my spare time, I was looking at some of the Jesus Christ accounts on different social media platforms. On Instagram, the Jesus the Lord has 1.7 million followers. Anyone follow this account on Instagram? No? Why? Because it doesn't have the blue check mark by it? Not official? Not truly inspired by God if it's not had the blue check mark by it? I mean, you can, you can buy the blue check mark these days. You know that, right? Yeah. I think for 15 bucks a month, you can buy it. It is. How about this one? Facebook, middle one. Jesus Christ has 609,000 followers on Facebook. And then on Twitter, 882,000 followers on Twitter. Even CNN reposted them talking about the blue check mark about Jesus Christ. Or maybe you've seen the bumper stickers Driving down the road, I love this bumper sticker. It simply asked, do you follow Jesus this closely? <laughs> Anyone ever see that bumper sticker? So when we, when we look at this word follow, I know it's a, it's a funny illustration, very casual. But is this what Jesus meant when he called the disciples in Matthew chapter 4 to come and follow him? Let's take a look at Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 18. It says, one day... As Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they, were, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. See, here's what I know. Jesus wasn't interested in getting followers for popularity. Jesus wasn't interested in looking at how many likes he got on a social media platform within an hour to determine if he's going to keep that post up or not. See, when we follow people on social media, we follow people because we either know them personally or we like the content that they share. But just as easy as it is to hit the follow button on somebody as soon as we see or hear something that we don't agree with on social media, just as easy as it was to hit the follow button, we can also just as easily what? Hit the unfollow button. That means there is absolutely no commitment in following on social media. So as we can see, funny joke, it's all not, not putting all the jokes aside, it's funny that we think that we can be a disciple of Jesus because we follow him on social media. But as we dive into this topic of discipleship over the next few weeks, my hope today is that we conclude that Jesus is worth following. He's worth committing our lives to, worth committing to a life of discipleship by becoming more like him. 
and learning from him and learning from his teachings and by making other disciples by sharing the good news, the gospel message. So a good starting point of discipleship is looking at scripture. But as we look at scripture, we must ask ourselves this question. Why is Jesus worth following? Great question. It's a question that we must answer before we commit our lives to a life of discipleship to him. So I just want to look at one chapter in the Bible. And let's be clear. We can look at any chapter, at any verse in the Bible. We can take the, the Bible in its entirety, and it always points us back to Jesus. But we're going to look at just one chapter today in 1 Corinthians, and we're going to look at why Jesus is worth following and worth committing our lives to, to this life of discipleship. Now, this, is, this chapter that we're going to be studying is 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And you might be thinking, man, this is one of the most well-known scriptures and chapters in the entire Bible because we read this at every single wedding. I think that this scripture is read in about 98% of weddings. That, that is a completely made-up stat, but I just think that's pretty true because that's a very, very, we all know this scripture, but, but, but I want to look at it from a different angle today. I want to look at it to show us why Jesus is worth dedicating our lives to based upon this chapter in the Bible. And as we read this, my encouragement is pay attention specifically to the words that follow what love is. So 1 Corinthians chapter 13, starting in verse 1. This is reading out of the NLT if you have your Bibles or your Bible app open. If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but don't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and I understood all of God's plans, all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I, had, I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Here we go. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Then we go to verse 13. It says, three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. And as I was studying this this past week, uh, my Bible is a full commentary Bible. If you don't have one of these, I highly encourage at some point getting a full commentary Bible. And in my and in the commentary that was referenced for 1 Corinthians chapter 13, was was it really hit me between the eyes. And so I'm going to read that for us today. It's going to be on the screens for us as well. This is the commentary section talking about 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and it really brings this chapter to life. It says, it is clear from this chapter that God honors Christ-like character more than ministry faith or the possession of youths of spiritual gifts. God values and emphasizes character that acts in love, patience, kindness, unselfishness, hatred for injustice, and love for the truth, honesty, dependence on God, and endurance much more than extreme faith or great accomplishments in the church. It goes on to say, the greatest in God's kingdom 
will be those who are great in inward character and who show true love for God and people, not necessarily those who are greatest in outward accomplishments. You might be thinking, Manny, I I thought we were talking about why is Jesus worth following? And we just read an entire chapter about what love is. Here's my point. And please don't miss the simplicity in this point. Jesus is love. Jesus is love. See, we see throughout Scripture that Christ personifies every single adjective and every single verb that we just read in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and again within the commentary. See, we can devote our lives to Jesus and live a life of discipleship by him because he is not just one or a few of those attributes. He is all of them. He's all of them. So as we take some time today, hopefully you can view 1 Corinthians chapter 13 in a little bit different light than just a marriage ceremony scripture, but really points you to why Jesus is worth following. So we're going to take some time today to go through these attributes of who Christ is. And here's my encouragement. As we go through these different points, and we, we talk about the supporting scriptures of these points, take a note of the point in the supporting scripture and let the love of Jesus minister to you today and throughout this next week by reading these scriptures again. But let's dive in. First one, Christ is patient. Second Peter 3, 9. It says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Christ is kind. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Christ is unselfish. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. In your relationships with one another, had the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider himself equality with God but something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Christ hated injustice. Matthew chapter 21, verses 12 through 13. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. Christ is truth. John 14, 6. Jesus answered, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Christ is honest. John 8, 45 through 46. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Christ depended on God. John 5, 19. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, 
The son can do nothing by himself. He can only do, he can do only what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. And Christ endured. Hebrews 12, 2 through 3. Fixing her eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. See, I don't know about you, but after reading what love is and knowing that Christ is love, and looking at all these attributes and knowing that Christ is not just one, is not just some, but is all of these attributes, he is worth someone, worth following. But even greater than all the things that we just read, greater than all the attributes that we just talked about, greater than everything that 1 Corinthians 13 talks about, it's been touched on on a few of the verses that we just read. But if we believe that Christ was born of a virgin, came to earth being fully man and fully God, lived a flawless life, and ultimately sacrificed himself on the cross to atone for our sins, and then was raised three days later, miraculously, then a life of discipleship must be our act of obedience because of what Christ first did for us. A life of obedience, then a life of discipleship must be our act of obedience because of what Christ first did for us. But take yourself back to biblical times for a second. We read Matthew chapter 4. Jesus called his first two disciples. What made those disciples follow Jesus? Because those disciples didn't have 1 Corinthians chapter 13 to go off of. They didn't know. They didn't know who Christ was. They didn't know he was all those attributes yet. So what's the significance of Matthew chapter 4? I think the, the best way to, to tell you why those disciples followed Jesus is by summarizing an article entitled, You May Be Covered with the Dust of Your Rabbi. And this article portrays the realities of discipleship in biblical times. And as I summarize this article, we will see that Jesus is absolutely worth a life of discipleship. So in this article, it talks about how Jesus, when he was around six years old, alongside of every other Jewish boy, would go to a local synagogue and they would start this class. It was called Bet Sefer. So from the ages of six to 10, these Jewish boys would go to Bet Sefer five days a week and the, this teacher would teach them the Torah. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And from the ages of six to 10, not only would they learn the Torah, but these Jewish boys would memorize the Torah. Memorize from ages six to 10. I don't know about you, but I forget the grocery list of five items faster. But they were expected to know the first five books of the Bible by heart by the age of 10. 
And then it says, at the age of 10, the best of the best would go on. What was known to be called Bet Talmud. And from ages 10 to 14 in Bet Talmud, you would memorize the rest of the Hebrew scriptures all the way until Malachi. That's a lot of scripture. And at the end of, of Bet Talmud, at the age of 13 to 14 years old, if you were then the best of the best, you would then go, you took the action as a student. You would then go to a rabbi and present yourself to a well-known, respected, powerful rabbi. And you would say, Rabbi, I want to become your disciple. I want to follow you. I want to become your student. They would say, please let me into your bit midrash, your house of study. And the rabbi would, would ask them questions to really figure out if that student truly was the best of the best. And if that rabbi believed that you truly were the best of the best and that you had the ability and potential to become a rabbi, he would say, come, follow me. And you would leave your family, you would leave everything that you could, that you had, and follow that rabbi. You would give your life to be exactly like that rabbi and you would follow him everywhere. But for some Jewish boys, when the rabbis quizzed them, they did not get the response, come follow me. The rabbi would say, go home to your village, make babies, pray that they become rabbis, go home and learn the family business, fishing, farming, carpentry, because you won't be studying as a rabbi. See, do you see the significance of Matthew chapter four? why Jesus was so different than every other rabbi? See, remember that Jesus was a rabbi. He was called rabbi 14 times in the New Testament. 41 times he was called a teacher. And remember what we just read about these Jewish students, that those students will be the ones to ask the rabbi if they were good enough to come and follow them. Because those rabbis only wanted the best of the best. But Jesus wasn't just another rabbi, was he? It reminds me of my wife and I taking our two daughters to the beach a couple weeks ago. And we were blessed with two daughters that love to get up before the sun comes up. I use that word very intentionally. They love getting up. And I asked my daughter if I could borrow this shell today. And she was so excited that I could share with you this shell. I took it off of her dresser last night. And she sent me a video this morning that Ashley sent me. And in that video she goes, good luck sharing my shell with all, with everybody. Good luck sharing my shell. But we went to the beach a couple weeks ago. And because we're there before the sun comes up, we have first mover's advantage of all the shells that were washed up on the beach the night before. And as the sun's coming up, and we all know a, a beautiful sunrise at the beach, we've all been there, all have experienced the glory of God at the beach. 
We're on 625. The sun breaks the horizon just over so you can start seeing the beach. And you see hundreds, if not thousands of shells scattered along the beach. And we start walking down the beach together, my three-year-old leading the way, looking, looking for all different types of shells. And I found something very interesting. I found it interesting that my wife and daughter would only keep the shells that looked like this. We passed by hundreds and thousands of different shells, but the only ones that we kept were the ones that didn't have any cracks, that were already cleaned up, the ones that looked the best. Because we were the ones on the beach and we had first mover's advantage, we got to pick the best of the best shells for us to display at our house. And now these shells live at our house because we knew that these were the best of the best out of the thousands and thousands of shells on the entire beach that we walked those mornings. And we could think that Jesus was a rabbi that took this approach. He said, I'm only interested in the best of the best. I only want the ones that are already whole. I only want the ones that have it all figured out. I want the ones that have a certain status, that I don't have too bad of a past. Or we can look at Jesus for who he was. And Jesus went to the very people, the disciples that were fishing, that were told by the every other rabbi that they weren't good enough to become a rabbi. And Jesus simply went to them and said, hey, come and follow me. He didn't care that they were fishermen. He didn't care that the original 12 were tax collectors. He simply said to them, and I'm paraphrasing in modern terms, I want you. I know you've been rejected by the other rabbis. I know you weren't considered the best of the best. You may not have your life figured out, but I want you. And he simply is telling us today to be his disciple, to step into a relationship with him. He wants us to follow him. He wants a life that is dedicated to him. He's calling you and he's calling me today to come and follow me. He's calling us to a life of discipleship. And when we begin this process of discipleship, akalutheo, when we begin this life of discipleship, he begins to reveal the plans and the blessings that he has for our life. So as we stand to worship one more time, just know that Jesus isn't looking for you to clean up your life. He doesn't care that you may have a past. He's not interested in looking at you to say, hey, clean up your life before you present yourself to me. He says, I'm, able, I'm willing to break this shell in half. I come to me broken, come to me worried, come to me with all your fears and worries and anxieties. Come to me and I will make you whole. I am worth a life of discipleship. I am worth a life of pursuing. 
So as we worship today, know that Jesus has chosen you. Jesus has chosen me. And he's wanting us to live a life of discipleship in accordance to how he sees us. Let's worship together one more time. discipleship than by taking communion. Communion is our way as believers to recognize that we are disciples of Christ. See, we take communion in remembrance of Jesus. We take communion because he was willing to come. to live a perfect life as an example, to die for our sins so that we may have relationship with God and have eternal life with Him. So as we prepare the elements, there are four things that we look at and four things that we do and we participate in communion. We remember Jesus' death. We look forward to his return. We examine our relationship with God. And we enjoy fellowship with Jesus and our fellow believers. So as we prepare the elements today, if you are a Christ follower and you're a disciple of Jesus, I invite you to today to take communion with us. Let me pray. Father, thank you for choosing us. Father, thank you for giving us an opportunity to respond to the gospel message. I'm so thankful that you came and lived the life that you did, the example that you set to show us that you're not, you're not worried about perfection. You're interested in intentionality. So Father, as we take communion today, we do this in remembrance of you. Thank you for setting the example that you did at the Last Supper with the 12 disciples around the table right before you were crucified. And when you took that bread, you, you said, this bread represents my body that is broken to make you whole. 
Thank you for making us whole, for breaking your body on that cross for us. And then you took that cup and you told the first 12 disciples that that juice in the cup represented your blood that was given as a payment for our sins. So Father, we receive communion today in remembrance of you. It's your name I pray, amen. I'm gonna read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 through 24 as we prepare the elements. In verse 23 it says, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus in the night he was betrayed, took bread and when he, when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake in the bread. Picking up in verse 25, it says in the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's partake in the cup. Father, we simply say thank you. We could not do this life without you. And I'm so thankful we, we get to choose that we don't have to do this life without you. Thank you for calling us to a life of discipleship. And Father, I pray that over the next few weeks as we continue to look at what discipleship is and how do we live out a life of discipleship, I pray that we would have eyes that would see and ears that would hear the words that you want to speak to us. And with every head bowed and every eye still closed, I wanna take a moment today. Maybe you've never truly accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life, meaning you are not yet a disciple of his. Man, if I could sit across from you right now, having a cup of coffee one-on-one, -on -one, I would look at you in the eye and say, Jesus wants you. He wants a relationship with you. Yes, you. He's not worried about your past. He's not worried about your past shortcomings, your failures, your mistakes. He wants to live in communion and relationship with you and walk with you from this day forward. But you have to respond. Discipleship is a noun, but it's also a verb. And we must respond to the gospel message to be a disciple of Christ. And so I wanna say a very simple but impactful prayer. And if you want to be included in this prayer of salvation by making Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life, I wanna pray with you and for you right now in this moment. So if every head still bowed and eye closed, if that's you, 
If you want to become a disciple of Jesus today by accepting him as your Lord and Savior, and you want to be included in this prayer, would you simply raise your hand right now, slip it up, and slip it right back down. Raise them up high really quick just so I can see, and I'm going to pray with you and pray for you. I see that hand. I see that hand. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Church, for the benefit of those hands that went up this morning, when we pray this collectively for the ones that are praying this for the very first time, Jesus, thank you for choosing me. Thank you that you didn't call me to clean up my life before coming to you. Father, I know that I'm a sinner in need of a savior. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Thank you for clean, cleansing me and making me whole. I choose today to walk with you, to be your disciple. I make you Lord and Savior of my life. Thank you for saving me. Help me walk in your ways. It's in your name that I pray. Amen and amen. Church, can we celebrate those that raise their hands to make a decision for Christ today? Church, that's what life is about. That's why we do what we do is to share the gospel of, of Jesus Christ with individuals. And over the next couple of weeks, we now, today we made the determination that Jesus is absolutely worth a life of following. And now we get to walk and look at a life of discipleship for the next couple of weeks. So as a reminder, as we exit today, we do have the blanket drive happening this week and next week. We also have Multiply 101 happening right after service. Meet Megan at the sound booth and she'll take you to the classroom. Church, we're so grateful for you. We'll be back here next week, same time, same place, as we continue to love Jesus and change the world. Have a great rest of your Sunday. We'll see you back here next week. God bless you.